0: Welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast, Let's Talk Creation, with Paul Garner and Todd Wood. I'm Paul Garner. And I'm Todd Wood. Now, because this is our very first episode, uh, Todd, I guess this is kind of getting to know you, and uh, we uh, we need to say a bit about who we are and why we're doing this podcast. Now, I've known you for quite a long time. You know, we first met back in 2003 at the International Conference on Creationism. Right. Uh, I think you had contacted me about doing some work on, on fossil horses, and uh, that was the first time we met. And then I think I came to the uh, Creation Biology Conference for the first time the following year in 2004.
1: Yeah, that's what I remember. We, we had you over here at Bryan College right here that's in town. That's
0: correct, yeah, yeah. It was at Bryan College in Dayton in Tennessee, and uh, we've uh, known each other ever since then. I mean, I've, I've kept coming back every, every year to the, to the And I've been over
1: to your house, too. And uh, you have. You've, yeah. you've been Did over here a couple of times. There. Yeah, a couple of times.
0: We've known one another for, for a while, but I guess a lot of our uh, listeners perhaps won't know us. And so I wondered if, you know, you could just sort of kick off by telling us a bit about yourself and your background, your, your upbringing, uh, where you grew up and how you got interested in these kinds of creation topics.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in a sort of pretty rural town in um, southern Michigan in the U.S., right? So that would be up north. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my family was Christian, and um, my I had extended family also that were Christian, not all of them, but but a lot of them. and uh, my parents were charter members of their Baptist church, so so we were we were real Christians mm-hmm. <laughs> and as about as about as committed as you can get um, and and from kindergarten, my parents committed to making sure that I had a Christian education, Uh, outside of our public schools. So uh, I went to Jackson Baptist School, now known as Jackson Christian School, but at the time it was Jackson Baptist School. You would call it a public school.
0: Yes, yes, I I guess. I would call it a private school. Yes, because public school is something different in the States. I know it's very confusing. Public school is what we call state school.
1: But yeah, I mean, so I did not have... I did not have sort of this sort of secular education that 99% of Americans have. I was, we taught, we had Bible class and it was taught by other conservative pastors in the area. Um, we talked about creation in science class. And so that's that's sort of where I started learning about this. My parents also had a copy of, uh, the Genesis flood by Wickham and Morris. Uh, so I had that available to me growing up as well. So, you know, I was interested in these ideas from an early age and of course, dinosaurs, what kid doesn't love dinosaurs, right? So, yeah, cool. <laughs> so, so fossils and that sort of thing always fascinated me when, when we would go on vacation places, we always had to make room for going to the museums or the zoos or whatever so that I could enjoy um enjoy a good injection of science and I had a passion yeah. for that subject from very early on very
0: and you went on, on to you went on to study that um after you left school and i mean what what I, i'm not familiar with the american educational system yeah so so tell us what happens after you leave school do you leave at 16
1: no, 18. So we leave at 18. And then it's off to, if you want, you go off to do your undergraduate work, which would be uh, at a college or a university. So for an American college would be higher education above high school. Uh, and then, um, so that's a four year program. And then you go on to either uh, some kind of graduate school, and that's where it sort of varies from from program to program. Sometimes you would get a master's degree and then go on and get a Ph.D., and other times you would just go straight into a graduate program that would award you a master's and a Ph.D. I mm-hmm. did straight into Ph.D. I don't I don't actually have a master's degree.
0: So you did biochemistry, is that right? I did, that's, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah i like biochemistry it's a weird story so uh, going going so i was a undergraduate at liberty university right so the big evangelical school that's much much bigger now than it ever was when i was there um, and for
0: those who don't know that's in uh, virginia that's,
1: yeah it's in virginia Sorry. yep that's in. So Lynch, that's kind of on virginia.
0: the eastern side of the united states that's right that's yeah. on
1: the eastern side of the united states that's right okay and uh, well-known conservative evangelical school. And, but I, you know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. I didn't really know any real scientist type people um, and I didn't know anybody who had a PhD until I got to college. And, and there, there at school, I just thought, well, I guess what I'll do is uh, I will get an education degree and teach for a while, make some money, save some money, and then use that money to pay for my graduate school. And so I'm sharing this plan with some of my professors there, and they said, no, 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 no. Graduate schools, if they want you bad enough, they'll pay for you to come and do your graduate work, which just seemed completely absurd to me. What is this? Who pays for someone to go to school? That sounds crazy. Uh, so I, I continued on for three years trying to get my education certificate. So in America, if you're going to be a high school teacher, you take a you major. Your, your primary area of study is whatever it is, the subject that you're going to teach, math, or in my case, biology. And then... You also take classes that are required for you to get a teaching certification so that you're allowed, you're licensed and allowed to teach high school. So, okay, so that's what I was going to do. But the the frustration always came every year when it was time to schedule. Well, every semester when it was time to schedule my courses because there was always going to be, uh, you know, I had to have these science classes and those science classes had labs and, that, you know, that was it. You had to have both And there was always some conflict between what I had to have in the science and what I had to have in education. So it was always this, all of us biology ed people would always have to go back and forth between the departments trying to arrange the schedule and rearrange things so that we could get all of our required courses. In my senior year, I was down to one last course that I needed before my student teaching. And... I was down to one last science class that I had to have a physiology elective and wouldn't you know it both scheduled at exactly the same time and I and I said you know what I've had enough I'm going to go to grad school
0: <laughs> yeah. and it
1: was completely insane I had not prepared to go to grad school this is like November and I, I it was just one of those spur of the moment I've had it up to here I'm not going to do this anymore so so I uh, took my physiology class. I signed up for the the GREs, which are the the, the big test here in America that you got to take to have your scores sent off to grad school. and That's how they let you in and so forth. And and that was that. Uh, you know, and and I, you know, I took my classes. Went back to went back to my regular uh, studies at, at Liberty and finished up my coursework and hardly heard a peep out of, out of, um, my graduate application. Uh, and it ended up that I only really had time to put together one application, which is completely nuts. And (laughs) so that's what I did. And the next thing I know, I come home from class one day in May, Uh, I was taking a summer class and there was a answering, there was a message on our answering machine. So I, 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 clicked it and played it and it was a graduate program director saying we've gotten your test scores and we're going to go ahead and offer you a position if you're if you're uh if you're still available and willing to take it and so i i said yes when can i start <laughs> <laughs> so i actually I actually started it started grad school a month early before classes even began because i was just you know i was done and it was yeah. nothing for me to do in lynchburg so So what did you do
0: at grad school?
1: I spent most of my time sort of, and it was kind of cutting edge at the time because I was doing sort of computational biology. Um, And this was, this was the era of windows 95 and this thing we call the internet, which was this brand new thing, email. Right. So I went through my entire undergraduate career with no email of any kind. If, 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 if there was an official communication it would be in your post office box on a piece of paper (sighs) it sounds barbaric but it's true right (laughs) so so yeah so i get to i get to graduate school and and we've got these fancy computers running something called unix which i didn't know anything about (laughs) and frankly i didn't know anything about windows either windows was not on my radar Computer com- computing wasn't really on my radar, um, but I found it was really remarkable because by this time, even in the mid-90s, there was, was already a large body of information available and the first genomes were just starting to come out at the time, the first genome sequences. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, mycoplasma genitalium came out and shortly after that, mycoplasma pneumoniae and then um, bacillus subtilis and E. coli all came out really really quick together and then it Come just on, I, started
0: I, i'm 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 not a biologist Todd, so what <laughs> what are these these are bugs right these are bacteria these are bacteria uh
1: almost all of them pathogenic bacteria right okay and and the the reason they were the first was because they had really small genomes and yeah. so genomes being let's make sure everybody's on the same page your genomes would refer to sort of all the DNA that makes up a cell in your body or an an organism's DNA. Everything that every unique piece of DNA that that organism has is sort of considered to be a genome. Uh, And in the human genome, it's sort of organized into these big, big, long strings of DNA called chromosomes. Um, And in bacteria, it's they're circular. There's usually one chromosome. Sometimes there's more. Uh, but usually one chromosome, and it's and it's circular, and it's much much smaller. So the human genome is three billion three hundred million nucleotides, and a Mycoplasma genitalium is half a million, which is just tiny, almost nothing. Uh, so so yeah, so that's, so that's what that is. Those are those are bacteria. Those are the very first those are the very first genome sequences, very first time that we had the opportunity to sort of look at what it is genetically that sort of makes up, uh, makes up these, these organisms, which was kind of shocking. So it was, it was a pretty exciting thing to sort of be in on the ground floor of that. I remember going to meetings and hearing about, uh, what at the time was called the Institute for Genomic Research, which was one of the leading genome sequencers at the time. I think they've folded up finally now. Um, And they were just cranking out genome sequences left and right. And so, yeah, that was my, that was my deal. So I got, I got to work on, um, eventually worked on the rice genome project as a, as a graduate student, um, which is the genome of the rice plant. Right. So, Mm -hmm. just so everybody understands that it's the rice plant. And we were, we were working uh, with an international consortium that in, Involved people in Europe and uh, Japan, especially. Uh, obviously, Japan would be very interested in the rice genome, so they were kind of leading the way on this international consortium. And we were we were funded in the U.S. to do chromosomes ten and three. And I worked mostly on chromosome ten, and I worked mostly on the computational, um, the computational analysis, sort of setting up how that chromosome was going to be. Uh, all those sequences were going to be processed eventually and studied and annotated and figured out what, what, what is all the, what are the genes and all that sort of thing. So yeah, that was my, that was my thing. And it was pretty, it was pretty exciting. And I, and I remember, you know, my professors, there saying, well, you're going to go have to go to this lab and learn how to do molecular biology. And you're going to have to go to this lab and learn how to do protein biology. Cause we can't just give you, A degree because you worked on a computer for for five years (laughs) and world's real different now that's that you know working on computational biology and getting a degree in that area is not not at all odd and strange but in my time it was it was a little peculiar so i was like one of the first to get a mostly computational degree in my department
0: now now through all of this i mean you you're a creationist Right. yeah so um, you know how how did you how did you handle that you know so, so many young people I think who come from maybe a you know a Christian and a creationist background might shy away from going into a field where you know evolutionary biology plays a big role and you you did exactly the opposite you know you kind of you, you went straight into some kind of evolutionary, discipline
1: yeah i was kind of stubborn about that i just i decided i wanted to go study evolution and learn more about it which is what i did the advice i was given you know kurt wise who's a fairly well-known creationist i asked him about this um after i got to grad school uh and he just said look you're there to get an education and to get an education you do what the teachers tell you to do and and i wanted to be I was really adamant about not being one of those sort of stereotypical fundamentalist extremist type people who were going to make trouble and cause problems and, and become sort of the, the bane of the department and no one would want to associate with them. So I mostly did just that. I mean, I, I went and did my work and, um, and I, you know, I didn't, shy away from talking about my faith. I didn't shy away from uh, talking about, you know, Christianity and my commitment to my church and so forth. Um, But I just sort of made it a personal policy that I wasn't going to stand up in class and argue about evolutionary subjects, right? So Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to, I was going to take it as a class and treat it as a serious subject to study. And so that's what I did. Uh, And and, you know, I look back and I I I can't help but look back and wonder was that the right thing to do, right? Um, there's, There's a place for you know, doing what your professors tell you to do. And then there's a place for being open and honest with people. Just like blatantly open and honest with people and i'm just not i i I still i i don't know if i did it right i'll just be blunt i don't know that i did it right Um, it's a
0: difficult one isn't it and it's super hard right yeah it's very difficult and i i think each individual is is in a very different um situation and um yeah, I mean, we kind of muddle our way through, don't we? You do, um, yeah. Some of and, these and, difficult...
1: And, and, and it's that individuality, right, that, that sort mm-hmm. of prevents us from giving really hard, good advice, right? This is mm-hmm. how you should do things, and this is how you should approach it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just don't know. Because you yeah. always have, besides just wanting to be a good student, right? So there's the, there's the good side of it, that I want to be a good student, and I want to show... You know, I want to be, pursue actual academic excellence and, and, and show myself a, a decent and adequate and good scholar. And there's also the other side of that, which is if there's any evolution or atheist fanatics in my department or, uh, or, or on campus who find out whatever... Uh, they could go ballistic and mm. and try to shut me down or get me expelled or something. I don't know. Um, so that's always there too. It, so it's so and that's why that's one of the things why I look back and I I'm, I'm not sure that my motives for every interaction that I had were ever totally pure. Was I acting out of a desire to be a good student or was I acting sometimes out of pure fear that somebody is going to throw me out of the program? Uh, and, and I'm not trusting the Lord to actually provide for mm. what he's called me to do. Um, so I, I think you had an experience like that also. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Should we yeah, talk I about mean, that? <laughs> <laughs> well, should, I mean, we could go back to the beginning, if you like. And I can yeah. sort of tell you a bit about my story as well, because yeah. I, I, th- I think in many ways, I mean, there are some similarities in our stories uh, but a lot of differences, too, because uh, Britain is a much more um, secular kind of place in America. Sure. Um, ha- having said that, it's, it's very strange. Although, although Britain is kind of secular, we, we have an established church, which you don't have. You have church-state separation. Right. And we have the Church of England. And so Christianity actually plays quite a large part in our public life. Even though, in many ways, we're we're much less religious uh, as a country than than America.
1: So, in your state schools, would you have religion classes? Would they teach you about religion?
0: Yes, there would be, there would be religious studies classes. And I mean, when I was at school, you would have a very explicitly Christian um, assembly every morning, where you would you would sing hymns and have prayers. And this was not a this was this was not a church school. I mean, this, so this was, was just, school. this was just an ordinary state school. Wow. Um, I think things perhaps have changed somewhat today, but certainly when I was at school, that was kind of how things were. And my, I, I was not brought up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were not believers. Um, except I, I think in the most nominal sense, right. uh, my my parents sent me to the local sunday school um which i think that's a little bit different isn't it yeah, Sunday I was school say, means gonna say what do you think different. sunday school is <laughs> so sunday sunday school here in in uh britain is a kind of uh it, it's a church activity for children that takes place on a on a sunday usually a sunday morning
1: okay
0: and uh it's it's not an adult Activity like it is in the states. So, okay. so my parents sent me along to the local Anglican church, the local Episcopalian church, I guess you'd call it in the states. And uh, I was taught Sunday school by uh, a, a, an elderly lady. I remember she used fuzzy felts, you know, to, to sort of illustrate Bible stories. Um, so I had a I had Christian input in my background, but I wasn't actually brought up in a in a Christian home. So when I was ten years old, um, I was invited by a friend of mine to go along to um, a, a youth club that ran on a Tuesday night the local evangelical church ran, ran a youth club. I went on a summer camp that they organized that that year and I became a Christian at the summer camp. you know I heard the gospel there for the first time and i I became a Christian. I was ten years old and mum and dad. Um, came to collect me from the camp, and I told them, you know, I've become a Christian, and they were completely bemused by this because they didn't really know what I meant. Because I think, you know, in a nominal wow. sense, they they would have said, "Well, you know, we're, we're all Christians. Changed. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're born in Britain, you know, and we're, we're C of E, Church know? of England, yeah, yeah." Um, so, you know, so that that was kind of how it was. But anyway, they they started to come to church, and not long after that, they they became believers too wow so my my parents became Christians wow. after I did and I think when I was a young Christian I see I was al- always like you I was always interested in um dinosaurs and rocks and fossils right. and yep. you know all of that kind of stuff like like young boys yep. are yep and so I think as a young Christian I first then encountered um creationist literature so probably when I was a very young teenager. And in fact, one of the first things I read, I've actually got it here. This is the actual copy. It's falling falling to pieces. You can see the covers coming off. But Sylvia Baker's um, Bone of Contention is Evolution True. So this sort of magazine format thing. Uh, And I, I read that and I read some other books. There was a book called In the Beginning by a church pastor called Roger Price and um monty white had written a book called what about origins and i i read those i think i read them t- until the covers fell off you know and i was sort of fascinated by all of this and i and, and i became a convinced creationist and i think as a maybe a bit later somebody loaned me a copy of the genesis flood so that was one of the books you know like like you sure. read the, the genesis flood i i read that and um, became a, a creationist. But I, th- I think as well, I, I kind of always knew that I wanted to go and study science. You know, it was just this passion that I had. So when I um, left school, uh, we did A-levels, which was kind of preparation for university. And then I did a first degree, which was a combined science degree. Uh, So I studied geology and biology, but I majored in geology. And in fact, I chose that particular degree program because I was a creationist and I knew that geology and biology were these two key disciplines that I needed to be familiar with. So I so I chose that particular program, got my uh, degree and very quickly got involved in, um, in 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 the creation world. So I, I joined the Biblical Creation Society, which was a group here in, in the UK, and uh, I, I joined the Creation Research Society in the States. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, in fact, I remember w- when I was 17 years old, um, my dad wrote to Wayne Frere, who was then the president of the CRS, he was a biologist, and uh, we wrote to, to Wayne, and he wrote this fantastic letter back, which I still have tucked away in my files somewhere, um, giving me lots of very helpful advice about how I could sort of train and and, and get involved in the creation work. And uh, sent me a, a complimentary copy of his book, A Case for Creation. Oh, nice. And in fact, in 1994, when I first came over for the International Conference on Creationism, that was the first time I'd ever been to the, to, to the United States. Um, Wayne Frere was there representing CRS. Sure. And I was able to go and talk to him and tell him what an influence that letter that he'd written to me had been when I was 17 years old. So. Yeah. You know, he he probably didn't remember writing it, but you know, I, I I told him you know that I was kind of there partly through his his influence. And um, anyway, I, I my my work with within sort of creationism just kind of grew, and it, it grew into um, a fully fledged ministry, which you know maybe we'll come on to talk about. Um, uh, but it was later in life actually that I went back to to do grad uh, grad school, <laughs> so. I actually, there was a long gap between doing my first degree and then doing my master's. And uh, I went back uh, to uh, University College London and I did a master's in geoscience. And I specialised in paleobiology. I, I mean, I did what you did, really. I, I chose all the most evolutionary things from the menu. Right. Um, so, you know, any anything that was, you know, macroevolutionary patterns and know, all of these kinds of they were the things i wanted to study and uh in fact my um, my my dissertation my research dissertation was on dinosaurs it was on dinosaur uh, diversity and so i was studying phylogenetic trees you know evolutionary trees of dinosaurs and a- analyzing them in various ways and uh yeah. So I, so I had a kind of similar experience. It was, I, I was, I was there, I was open about my faith. Um, I was open about my creationist convictions. And I have to say I, I was treated very fairly and with a great deal of tolerance, you know, bearing in mind, you know, you do hear some horror stories about, yeah. people who you know who, who who have very different experiences but i have to say that they were um they were extremely tolerant of me as this you know perhaps a bit of an oddball you know in this evolutionary department as a as a young young age creationist
1: it seems like there would be a totally different atmosphere in the uk than here in the us just for being a creationist right so Here, we have the the history of the Scopes Trial, where Mm. um, a a movement arose in the U.S., largely spearheaded by um, a three-time presidential candidate named William Jennings Bryan, and they tried to get the teaching of human evolution, specifically human evolution, uh, outlawed. Uh, And so several states passed these laws to ban the teaching of, of, of evolution. And so you have this long sort of culture of, of the cultural idea that creationists are out to sort of, sort of push everybody around and control education. Mm-hmm. And indeed, then in the 70s, um, you had similar court cases uh, in the 70s and the 80s. Um, so 50, 60 years later, you still have people fighting this out in court about, you know, and, and at that point, it was not banning evolution, but allowing creation to be even discussed in science classes. Um, and so there's sort of this, this history of antagonism. Uh, and I can't think that that has happened in the UK. <laughs> I don't remember anything like that.
0: No, pro- probably not in the same way. I mean, th- th- there is definitely a kind of growing hostility to, to creationist Thinking in the sense that um, you know, governments have have passed oh, yeah. um, legislation or or, or whatever to, to say you know you can't teach creation as right. science in in the school right. classroom and that kind of thing. So that so that has happened, um, but I think it's not on people's radar in the same way, perhaps as it is in the states. is It's not it's not part of this big culture war. Yeah. Um, right. And so, you know, it, it doesn't quite have the same um it the same sting you know that right. that it has perhaps in in the states, and probably you could say to some people over here, you know i'm I'm a creationist or I'm a young age creationist, and they'd kind of shrug their shoulders and look at you and go, well, you know what what's that you know um so so yeah, so that that probably helps wow um, <laughs> the, 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 the other thing about uh u c l which is where i where I did my um sort of postgraduate stuff is um. UCL was the first university in Britain that was established as um, a very explicitly secular university because obviously the history of universities, the history of education has been a Christian one yeah you know. Definitely. Uh, you, know, you colleges in you know that make up Cambridge University, they were established as Christian institutions. That's why that's why they're that's
1: why they're called Saint, Christ College and
0: Christ College and Saint yeah. Catharines and yes. things like this. Cause, yeah. cause they have a religious heritage. UCL was established <clears throat> as the first really secular university. And they they pride themselves on um, not being discriminatory of of anyone you know for for any reason um and i think perhaps that helps you know that you know here here i am this this kind of crazy person with these you know these weird religious beliefs who turns up in their department and um but they you know they 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 tolerate me because you know you 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 know toleration is the the name of the game right so
1: yeah
0: so i i think that that helped but I have to say, you know, I had a, I had a, a very good experience really at, at UCL. Yeah and, I, and learned a huge number of really valuable things. You yes. know, this is this is the thing. If you study in those kinds yes. of departments, you know, I would say to to Christian young people who are wanting to be useful in the creation world, go and study in those kinds of departments Absolutely. because they're the very best people to teach you. You you're, you're gonna get the best training very often and yep. Um, you, you're going to have experiences and learn things and be able to do things that maybe you, 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 you're not able to do in, in another context. So, you know, it was all very helpful to me, I think. Yeah, I,
1: I <clears> totally agree. I loved, I loved the whole time that I was there. I mean, I mean obviously there's things that I did not love that were hard and mm-hmm. difficult and struggles, but at the same time, sure just being there in that world and being able to hear i heard stanley miller give a lecture stanley miller right. being the guy who uh back in the 50s did his experiment where he took uh nitrogen all these gases and put them into a chamber and shot sparks through them and tried to try to create life from non-life he's sort of the pioneer in, in, in sort of origin of life research and i got to hear him as a graduate student which was yeah mind-blowing it was and it was really informative to hear sort of him being him and being really sort of open and honest and and just giving his perspective on where things stood there you know 40 years after his his initial experiment and Mm -hmm. it was enormously valuable and you do learn so many things that you just cannot learn in the same way by reading a book or watching a video or or you know, studying with other creationists.
0: Mm.
1: There's just no substitute for, for that kind of, for that kind of education. So if you can do it, yeah, I totally agree. You should definitely yeah. do that.
0: Absolutely. It's exciting stuff. It, it is.
1: You've been listening to Todd and Paul Talk Creation. If you'd like more information on sponsorship opportunities, or maybe you'd like to have a product or book reviewed or discussed on our podcast, please contact us at podcast at coursei.org. That's podcast at Corsi.org. Are you confused about creation and evolution? Are you intimidated by people who tell you that only morons believe in creationism and that evolution is a proven fact? What if these challenges aren't merely problems to be solved, but an opportunity or an invitation to a lifetime of discipleship seeking God? This is the subject of The Quest, Exploring Creation's Hardest Problems, a book written by me, Todd Wood, and it presents a unique perspective on creation and evolution that encourages faith, commitment, and curiosity in the face of uncertainty. Science and biblical creation walk hand in hand as we explore God's creation. God calls us to experience the joy of questions and the beauty of his handiwork on the quest. It's available today at coursei.org slash quest.
0: Now, to, to kind of come through to the present a bit more um you're you're now president of core Academy of Science yes. core Academy so 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 tell us about core Academy what is core academy uh what do you do and uh you know what why did you set up core academy and <laughs> wow, yeah. uh, and then maybe that will lead into us talking about you know why we're doing this yeah
1: podcast. yeah well we need to talk about about uh, biblical creation trust also but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we we <clears throat> launched um, eight years ago now. So we've been around a long time. Uh, and my heart has always been for reproducing my experience and, and training up new young creationist researchers and scholars. And I was always um, looking for ways to get that done and looking for um, different kinds of experiences that would help young people navigating this world. And, and, and as we've gone along and sort of developed as a ministry, it's, it's really become a lot of very personal support type work. Just talking to people who are struggling because it's not just about, it's not just about making new creationists, but it's about these, The whole world of faith crises that happen when you're that age and you go off and you have the culture shock of, of college or university. And, and along with that comes the, the, the culture shock of finding out that some of your beliefs may not be as settled and simple and simplistic as you thought. So yeah, that's been our, that's been our focus. We, we, do our work, the work that we do, we, (laughs) up until COVID anyway, we, we organized a, an annual um, retreat weekend uh, here in the Smoky Mountains of uh, Tennessee. And that's attracted a good number of people. It's quite small and personal. So there's plenty of time for students to just talk to Establish scholars and professors, and and uh, talk about you know, what's it like getting a degree. How do I get into graduate school? What should I study? How should I understand science faith issues and that sort of thing? And that's sort of been our premier thing. We also have various outreach ministries as well. I you know we have a YouTube channel. We, I do a series called Ask a Creationist now, um, which is Basically, just a real short video that's designed to address questions creationists have about whatever. Um, And uh, we also uh, maintain a fairly extensive library and archive here of materials related to the history of of creationism. Since I I think it's valuable, and if you're going to be a real scholar, then you should know your history uh, to some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what we've done. We've 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 collected this massive and I do mean massive library of materials, um, some of it four or five hundred years old, uh, as we're as we're trying to sort of document the intellectual history of creationists, because let me tell you, no one else is going to do that very well. They're all going to be (laughs) they've got their axes to grind. And it's really hard to get non-creationist scholars to talk in meaningful ways about history. And sometimes it's hard to get creationist scholars to talk in meaningful ways. That's a different problem. Um, Yeah, so that's what we're all about. That's what we're doing. And here in the world of COVID and and social distancing and lockdowns and whatnot, we've been trying to find other ways of Mm -hmm. of meaningful interaction and outreach to people. And so uh, we did some online conferences last summer I participated in some and we organized one in the fall and I thought they went off really well. And I was, they, really did. Kind of, yeah, they did. I did.
0: I was, I was a part of those and right. and uh, I think they went fantastically well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's where I sort of hatched this idea. We should do this. We should do this more often. <laughs> yeah. And so here we are. And so yeah, yeah well, we but... decided to to launch this thing and try to see if we can reach out to more people. So yeah, BCT, great. It's
0: where a great did BCT
1: idea. come from? <clears throat>
0: Yeah, so, so BCT, B- 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 Biblical Creation Trust. Put my teeth in.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: yeah. So, <laughs> um, wo- <protetics> <laughs> so Biblical Creation Trust. Um, I mean, in many ways, we, we have some kind of overlap with the sort of Ministry of Core. Um, we're a very small creation organization. Um, we're obviously based in the U.K., I mean, our, our main focus, I suppose, is is trying to help ordinary Christians navigate their way through all the complexities of the origins debate and to handle some of the challenges that arise from contemporary understandings of origins and to do that in a theologically and scientifically informed way. Um, I guess you would say there are three kind of strands to our, our ministry, uh, one is obviously theology. You know, we, we do believe that creation is very important, um, that it's foundational to our understanding of the whole sort of biblical redemptive narrative. And uh, we want to kind of integrate our creationist worldview into our understanding of the whole storyline of the Bible from creation to new creation uh the second area obviously is science you know we we believe that science is something that brings glory to god and that uh we should help to support and promote and participate in scientific research that is done within that sort of biblical framework of of earth history and then the third strand kind of brings those two things together so uh theology and science come together in in terms of apologetics so so we want to be able to sort of engage with the culture and the questions that people are asking uh, so many questions that you know people ask about the christian faith yeah are kind of tied up with our ideas about origins whether whether it's ideas about human identity and sexuality and gender or whether it's to do with um suffering and you know why does god allow uh pain and disease and sickness and you know all of these are apologetic questions that people ask but they're it's difficult to give a coherent response to those unless we deal with this issue of origins so that's kind of who we are and um Basically, we, uh, we do lots of speaking, or at least we did in the pre-COVID world. You know, I, I would spend a lot of my time out and about on the road um, yeah. speaking in churches and youth groups and in public meetings and conferences. Uh, we publish literature, so we have our own little series of booklets called Biblical Creation Basics, uh, where we try to sort of tackle you know, important topics in a way that lay people then can sort of understand. Um, uh, what else do we do? We get involved in scientific research, you know, yeah. w- whether that's, um, literature research or whether it's me crunching, uh, data sets on my computer or whether I'm out in the field looking for fossils or looking at rocks, you know, we try to get involved in, in creation research. Um, some people will know that I've been—I was involved for a number of years um, in a project that was led by Dr. John Whitmore at Cedarville University, where we were studying the Coconino Sandstone in Grand Canyon, and that was a—that was a fun thing to do. Um, I miss those days out in the the field in Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess some people will know me as the author of the New Creationism. Yeah. So The New Creationism was a book that I wrote in 2009 where I was just trying to bring the work that creationists have done to build robust creation models within a biblical sort of framework uh, in areas like geology and biology and cosmology. And I I was just trying to communicate that to a, a lay audience, you know, to ordinary people who are not scientists and uh, that's been, it's been fantastic to see how that book's been used. I mean, it's been widely uh, read, but it's been used in ways that I didn't anticipate when I wrote it. So it's right. used as a course text, a for example. <laughs> yeah, in, in a number yep. of uh, Christian and, in fact, non-secular uh, colleges as well. Oh, really? Um, so yes. Uh, yes, it, it, I, I know of at least one secular college that used it as a course text. Wow. Um, on a course that was about different views of origins and uh, and and the new creationism was used to represent the young age creation view wow uh so yeah so that's that's about bct um you know we we have all the usual resources a website and our social media accounts and uh, you know we're producing videos and things for youtube and people can check us out there yeah so why this podcast uh, Tom, what, what are we hoping? What, what are we going to do over the next few weeks? Hopefully, and what's the longer term goal? What, what do we want to achieve with this podcast?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so my I'm interested in different things, let's just put it that way. Um, and so this is sort of my harebrained idea, so I guess I should take responsibility <laughs> for it, but but you know. You, you look at sort of YouTube videos and creation or or the large creation ministries, and, and very much of the material is very similar, right? Very similar in, in style, very similar in content. And I just think there's so much more that can be done. Um, so much, we could get so much bigger than, than the sort of basic kind of outreach videos. And I don't mean to say that in the sense that I think these are bad videos
0: Mm.
1: because basic videos for the general public are important, right? So there really are people out there who have these sorts of misconceptions that these kinds of videos and and materials address. And that's, and so there's nothing wrong with addressing them. Uh, So I don't mean to, I don't mean to pretend like we're going to be something better or something somehow, yeah. you know, we're so much we're so much greater than everybody else. But but I also think that there's there is um there's a lot I just see, personally speaking, that there's so much there's so much more out there that can be talked about. There's so much more out there that can be addressed and, and explored. And I wanted to do that. Yeah, but so you know, you know, I hear about I hear about a lot of really cool research as, as a research scientist who has a lot of friends who are research in, in research scientists in creationism, and I just thought these guys, you hardly ever hear about what they're doing and, and how cool it is and how amazing it is. And I wanted a channel that, that would allow us to do that to sort of bring attention to these things. And so So that was sort of my motivation here. And, and I also wanted to think about how, how do we minister an outreach with different sorts of uh, media, right? So there's the internet is just so full and it's just and I feel like such an old fogey white guy when i think about <laughs> all, all these kids these days doing their tiktokking and their whatever it is and i uh, yeah. i i i'm a curmudgeon already and i'm not even 50 yet and and um
0: this has been a learning curve for us hasn't it it has to be said
1: <laughs> oh yeah i mean how what were yeah. we 2 hours this morning trying to figure out how to make our Headphones work, <laughs> and, and yeah. I hate—I hate that we're—I hate that we're that way, but we're that way. I mean, you're just getting yeah. some middle-aged guys here doing our best to do these things, um, but at the same time, you know, I—I I don't want us to sort of miss out on the possibilities that these new media open up for us, and so I wanted to be able to—to to have to take advantage of at least some of that and maybe maybe i'm not cutting edge maybe i'm not ready maybe i'm not TikTok ready or whatever but <laughs> snapchat
0: the world may not be ready for todd on TikTok. no either. no
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that, that was my thought so how why why did you agree to this i mean what whatever led you to think
0: oh this is a good idea <laughs> well i i you know it's been something in the back of my mind for a while you know i think that i think there is a gap here there is a kind of niche that we that we can fill um you know we we I, I guess our approach to creation is sometimes a little bit different to to the approach of some some other creationists and um i i think we subvert expectations uh sometimes and i think that's a good thing you know and i think we can we can bring something new and fresh and original i hope to yeah. to the table yeah and to the conversation and you know I, I i hope there's going to be an audience for this you know i mean if you <laughs> yes i do too you know if 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 you're listening into this and you you like um, what you hear then you know make sure you kind of subscribe yeah. to the to the podcast but That's we right. you know we we hope there's a we're we're filling a a need here and yeah. and you know we want to be talking about some things uh that people are interested to hear um one thing I guess you know we haven't really talked about and and pr- probably we should just as just for a bit of fun, you know as we kind of start to perhaps draw to a close, we've spent all of our time talking about our creation interests, but we haven't really said anything much about us as people and you know I mean, our, our, our lives, I mean, are taken up very much, obviously, yes. with, the, with the creation topic, but there's, there's, there's more to our lives than that. So, you know, what, what other kind of interests and hobbies or, you know, how else do you spend your time when you're not thinking about when creation? When I'm not doing
1: this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love to travel, mm-hmm. which obviously we're not doing any. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of been a disappointment. But yeah, I really yeah. love to travel. I love to hike. I love to get out in the woods. I love to get out in nature. Uh, I even tried to hike into the Grand Canyon two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. As a middle aged, uh, you know, middle aged man.
0: Do you know which rock unit you got down to in the canyon? Coconino. Coconino. Yeah. yeah. Well there you go.
1: Well we hit we so that we were actually going for the Red Wall. We'd we'd found this uh-huh. uh, trail that would have taken us to the Red Wall at about a mile and a half. And so we're hiking and we're hiking and we're hiking and we're thinking, so we got to pass the Coconino. we got to watch out for the Coconino. And eventually mm-hmm. you come to it and it is unmistakable, that that cross bedding. Oh, yeah. One of these days mm-hmm. we're going to have to tell some Coconino stories because the cross bedding there we is will. Just massive. And for yeah. those of you who don't know, it's 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 basically a kind of geological formation that, that really sort of stands out. It's these diagonal, basically diagonal stripes in the layer of rock. Yeah. So we hit this spot there with all these giant diagonal stripes and i am looking around at it and i'm and i'm looking at it real close going oh yeah that's 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 a sandstone i think i mean i'm not a geology guy (laughs) but i think it's a sandstone and it's got these massive cross beds and that's when we realized we're you know it's already we've been at this three hours and we barely (laughs) we barely made it into the canyon hardly at all so we had to turn around
0: Mm. We're going to have to get John Whitmore on our podcast to talk um, about the Coconino with us. Yeah, that
1: would be great. Um,
0: and and we, we, he and I, could sort of reminisce about some of the times we we spent in the field together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be that would be fun. In fact, we, you know, we we do hope that we might be able to twist a few arms and get some guests on our podcast at yeah. some point, don't we? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so you so you enjoy being out in nature. Yeah. And, and I live, out in, in, the, in, I live creation. in the
1: country. We have we have five acres out in the middle of nowhere here in lovely outside of Dayton. So, yeah, so that would be some of my interests. I love old movies, classic films. I love um, I love silent film. It's kind of fun. Mm. And when I'm not doing any of those things, I also enjoy uh, baking pie. That is. my ah,
0: Yes. <laughs> Yes, I've seen photos of some of your concoctions. Yeah, on, on one of these days Facebook. we're gonna have
1: to get you some of my pie when I when <laughs> that that miracle that miracle time that's coming when I have free time, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. I imagine that sometime will happen again. But yeah, yeah, I I, I baked, I got into baking pie baking ten years ago, and yeah, uh, yeah, I've got some really killer recipes now that I really quite enjoy making. Mm. So
0: mm-hmm. so how about mm. you? well um cat. what do i what do i we we have two cats oh. um what one cat we kind of um acquired uh, it was really our daughter's cat but it kind of stayed here when when she moved out so uh-huh. uh the other cat is very much um my cat she kind of tags around with me she's probably wondering even now why the door is why closed the door and why she, why, why she can't come in um <laughs> but uh, and she's she's quite an elderly cat i think she's 18 this year so she she's getting on in, in cat years um, yeah. yeah so we have we have cats um, what what else I, i'm am I'm a, an enormous fan of doctor who uh-huh. um uh, more the classic kind of doctor who I don't know how many Americans actually know what Doctor Who is. I think you'd be um, surprised.
1: The revival has been pretty popular here among sort of nerd culture, which you okay, know, I'm kind of in that culture too. So yeah. I think a lot of people know Doctor yeah. Who, but they would know him ba- mostly from the revival. The, They'd know the new the stuff. Revival. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Which, which I'm kind of less keen on, really. I, I'm, I'm much more the, the kind of classic Doctor Who. Kind fan. of a
1: traditionalist,
0: huh? Yeah. I, I sort of grew up with Tom Baker who was the fourth Doctor, the one in the scarf. And, um, yeah, so I'm, so I'm a huge Doctor Who fan and dotted around the house in various places, including on the shelves behind me are various police boxes and okay. <laughs> things of that kind. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I, I love reading. You know, I, I read a huge amount, and not not just on creation or science. You know, I like reading general theology and so on as well. Um what else oh uh, a couple of years ago i decided um to take up morris dancing now this 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 is is totally
1: unfamiliar to america this is probably very unfamiliar
0: now there are morris sides out in, in america and in fact you know i've met morris dancers from the states who visited the uk but it's 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 generally unfamiliar so morris dancing is a kind of traditional english folk dance and uh it's danced to traditional english folk tunes uh you usually are in sets of six or eight dancers um and you wear bells on your legs on your lower legs and you dance with hankies or sticks and uh, todd is laughing because he's seen video of 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 me uh doing this I don't mean uh, to be disrespectful, but yeah, it can be pretty funny. It's a very, it's a really traditional kind of English um, sort of pastime. Um, It's, it's often associated with the spring and the summer. And uh, yeah, I, I did it partly because I've, I I love the music and I've always wanted to give it a go and I didn't know whether I'd be any good at it. And I kind of turned up at a taster session and discovered that actually you know, I could do it. And so I've stuck at it and my dance repertoire is growing. Even, even during the lockdown, um, we've found sort of innovative ways to practice using zoom. Wow. Um, So, so yeah, so I've, so I've taken up, I'm a, I'm a member of a Morris dance side. So that takes up quite a bit of my, my spare time too. Wow. So that's me. So yeah, I couldn't
1: dance to save my life. In fact, I, I, I have the opposite of hand-eye coordination. I, I'm mm-hmm. just really clumsy and dangerous, and it's kind of frustrating at times. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I could not dance, so yeah, kudos to I'm you.
0: Not, <laughs> I'm not at all musical. You know, I've, I, I, I don't play any musical instruments. I don't sing. I can't read music. I think it would help as a Morris dancer, if you were able to do that, but it's not essential. Uh, and I've, I've found that I can, I can learn the dances and I'm, I'm able to stay in time and that kind of thing. So it's, well, so right I'm enjoying there. it. It's good exercise too. It's great exercise. Um, good. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that, that's a, a bit about us um, yeah. and some of our other interests. Now, I guess we should tell people what's coming up um and i Go think what i think what the plan is in in maybe the next episode we're going to think about why do we think that this issue of young age creation is so important yeah um, yeah, why, why have we devoted our lives to, to this kind of thing? You know, uh, why, why do we think it's so that, important? That
1: sounds so final, doesn't it? We've devoted our lives.
0: We have. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we think it's we important have, in a really. number of different ways. I mean, yeah. th- theologically and scientifically. So we're, we're going to think about that next time. And then right. I, th- I think we have a third episode lined up um, where we're going to think a little bit more about our kind of whole scientific approach and ethos. And why we we take the um, why we adopt the methodology that we do to the scientific questions. So I think that's where we're headed for the next few episodes.
1: Yeah. So the basic idea here would be sort of of for the long the long plan is to sort of sort of introduce everyone to who we are, what we're about, ease everybody into that, get everybody on the same page. So you sort of understand what we're doing and then we're going to get more into sort of. self-contained episodes where we talk about a particular topic um so get people familiar with who we are what we're about what we're doing and then from there get into the sort of more regular podcast fair if you will or interviews and we talk about a maybe we'll review a book or something like that um but that's that's down the road we sort of want to we still have lots of things to talk about to sort of introduce who we are and what we're about. So, yeah. So that's the plan.
0: Yep. So, so. we hope that we'll see you next time for yes. episode two of let's talk creation.
1: Thanks for listening to Todd and Paul talk creation. If you would like more information about what we discussed today, be sure to check out our show notes at courseaiorg slash podcast. That's course. slash podcast.